me get this correct. Okay, um, give a thumbs up if you can see my screen. Can you, can you see my screen? Yep, okay, great. Then I'm going to begin. Okay, let's open up in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ in whom we have reconciliation, the forgiveness of our sins, who has transferred us from the kingdom of darkness into your kingdom, the kingdom of life. Thank you, Lord, for the work of your Holy Spirit in our hearts. And we pray, Lord, that as we study this passage and your word, we might grow in knowledge, being renewed by your Holy Spirit, that we in obedience may act and do the things uh, that glorify you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> okay, I'm still sort of playing around with two screens here. One second. So, um, Good morning, Mike asked me to uh, sub for him and suggested I teach on Colossians 3, 1 through 17 as while he was teaching Romans, I was reading through that in my quiet time and um, was sharing with him a little bit of what I was learning. Um, <clears throat> it's a large passage, so there's a, a lot to cover, um, but I uh, <clears throat> focused uh, last week on the renewal in knowledge. And today there's two parts of Colossians 3 I want to focus on after the image of its creator and 317 in the name of the Lord Jesus. So just a little bit of review and introduction. We talked about that um, you need to think before you act. The way that we think determines how we speak, how we act. We reviewed how by nature, we have corrupted knowledge. And that's going to, of course, then lead to corrupted action in word and deed. But when by God's grace, we have put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, the passage is teaching us that our knowledge is renewed by the Holy Spirit. And the renewed knowledge is going to lead to renewed action in word and in deed. We also talked about some theological terms. We talked about our life in Christ begins with regeneration and washing by the Holy Spirit. Through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are justified. We, spent, we are <clears throat> stand before God with our sins forgiven. We're adopted into his family. When Christ comes again, we will be glorified. We will be exactly like he is. But in this in-between time, we're undergoing sanctification. 
and that is a process and that is where we're talking about today our sanctification <clears throat> so during this period of sanctification what does that renewed action so we talked about thinking last week so where do, what does that renew renewed action look like for the believer and today we're focusing on two key verses colossians 3 9 through 10 do not lie to one another seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator we're going to be focusing on that phrase after the image of its creator and also the last verse colossians 3:17 in our passage and whatever you do in word or deed do everything in the name of the lord jesus giving thanks to god the father through him so during this lesson we'll be focusing on that phrase also do everything in the name of the lord jesus but let's read the passage i've laid it out a little bit differently um, this time to share it more simply but the passage again is colossians 3 1 through 17. i'll read it if then you have been raised with christ seek the things that are above where christ is seated at the right hand of god set your minds on things that are above not on things that are on earth for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death therefore what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, 
singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So <clears throat> I'd like to walk us through a few questions to think about. First, from this passage, what characterizes the actions of that old self, the actions that are from an unrenewed mind? Well, Paul lists a whole lot out there. And in Mike's class, we've been focusing on these. So I'm not going to focus on these. We've been doing a lot about sin and temptation. Um, and we need to understand our old self in order to put on the new self and live in the new self for sure. But he makes the point that to these Colossians, first generation Christians, they too had walked in them. And the Bible uses the walking as to what we do in action, the way we live day in, day out. And he's acknowledging they uh, before receiving the Holy Spirit, before coming to faith in Jesus Christ, walked in them. But Paul also answers the question, <clears throat> what characterizes the actions of the new self? He lists them here and many places in the New Testament. Things like compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, forgiveness, and love. So one of the questions to ask ourselves is, what is the origin? What's the foundation? Where, where does this new self find its foundation? Is it just now a new list? I'm going to argue that it isn't, but rather, it goes to our key verse here. The knowledge that we have is being renewed after the image of its creator. Whose image? A few examples. Paul lists compassionate hearts. In Matthew 14, 14, we read, when he, that is Jesus, went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Another example, humility. Paul writes about the humility of Christ in Philippians 2, and here's just an excerpt. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count on others more significant than yourselves. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Patience. Paul writes about um, <clears throat> the patience of the Lord Jesus Christ in this verse from 1 Timothy. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience 
as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. And my last example, of course, is love. I and I could have taken many verses from scripture for this, but I chose this one. John wrote, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. So in conclusion, I think what Paul wants us to see is that in Christ, we see the image <clears throat> of the creator of the new self. In Colossians 3.10, you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Earlier in Colossians, Paul had stated, <clears throat> he, Christ, is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. So what does that mean? Is to put on the new self the same as putting on Christ? Well, that's the way that um, Paul puts it in this parallel passage from Romans 13. He writes, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So, the point is, it's not putting on the new self or putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. To put on the new self is to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to see that um, a little more clearly. But first, is putting something on, it's putting on Christ something optional for the believer. So you come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you repent, you believe in what he has done for you on the cross, and then you go live your own life. That seems to be impossible on the basis of the scriptural teaching. It's not optional because as Paul writes in Galatians, now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Again, I believe the, one of the main points that Mike is sharing that he wants us <clears throat> to take away from his teaching on Romans 5 through 8 is that everything we have by faith is solely because we are united with Christ by faith. And here, 
Paul is clearly saying, if you have come to Christ in faith, you have put on Christ. And that better be the case because when God sees you, you don't want him to see your unrighteousness, your sins. You want him to see Jesus Christ. And so you want to have Christ on. In fact, he's saying, when we've come to Christ, we become one with Christ. And in Jesus Christ, there are no differences between any possible differences <clears throat> among human beings. Here he, he lists Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female. In Jesus Christ, we are all one. Another thing that makes it clear that it's not something optional, whether we can put on Christ or not, is that being conformed to Christ's image is what God has called us for. In Romans 8.29, Paul writes, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. We can understand brothers here as brothers and sisters. It doesn't matter to Paul, we're all one. But this statement says, this is God's goal for your life. This is why he has called you, is to be conformed to the image of Christ. So that makes it clear Putting on Christ is not something optional. <clears throat> and last, this transformation, as we saw and talked about last week, being renewed in knowledge is a continuous act during this period where we are being sanctified. Our transformation is happening by the Holy Spirit as we get to know the Lord better and better. We see that in 2 Corinthians 3.18. This is a beautiful passage, but Paul writes, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So what is the Holy Spirit? doing in your life, he is transforming you into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're asking yourself, is the Lord working in my life through his Holy Spirit, you can ask, are you being coming more like Jesus Christ? So putting on Christ is not optional as if there's a choice there. But then if these things are true, why does Paul command us uh, so often in scripture to put off the old self and put on the new self? Well, we know that by faith, 
we are united as one in Christ. That's a spiritual reality that nothing can shake. That's a spiritual reality in heaven. Again, um, <clears throat> our verses in Colossians 3, you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave free, but Christ is all and in all. Well, the beginning of verse 11 says here, where is here? Here has to be in, and in the Greek, it really means it's a continuation of that whole uh, verse. Um, it's just the adverb where. So where that renewing in knowledge is taking place is that place where the differences that divide uh, the natural man, we could say, or the fallen man, do not exist at all because Christ is all and in all. In this, we saw this before in Galatians, but in this listing, Paul writes about Greek and Jew. You could talk about the um, whether uh, Gentiles and Jew, but Paul uses the word Greek and Jew, two very, very different cultures and world views. Paul gets circumcised and uncircumcised, which is probably more the difference between um, Greek, uh, I mean, Jew and Gentile. But he also lists barbarians. Who were the barbarians? They were yet seen in the <clears throat> worldview at that time as those that had no culture at all. They weren't Greek yet. They were outside that sphere of the Greek culture, which is, you know, was the main culture around the Mediterranean at the time of the New Testament. To be cultured uh, meant you could speak Greek. Our New Testament was written in Greek and you followed the culture of the Greeks. Those that didn't follow it, who were Gentiles, were the barbarians. They were the uncultured, and that's come into our language. What about the Scythians? Well, the Scythians were a people group around the Black Sea, and in Greek culture, they were seen as the lowest of the low. You couldn't get any lower than being a Scythian. They were not only uncultured, they were the lowest class, and often they were in Greek um, drama and Greek comedies, they were the butt of all the jokes, were the Scythians. And of course, economically, whether you were slave or free, a worldly difference between people. But if you have come to Christ, where you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator, then Christ is all that matters. He is all and in all. And our only hope is that we are in Christ and Christ is in us.
So this is a true reality. It's a spiritual reality in heaven. This is the way God sees us. We couldn't come before God if this were not true. Again, Galatians 3.28, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Clearly, this is a heavenly reality because here on earth, these differences exist. Well, the issue is here on earth, we don't always act by the truth of the gospel. We don't always act in that reality. And I'm going to read a passage in Galatians 2, 11 through 14, where someone that uh, is very important in our faith did not act by the truth of the gospel. Paul is writing <clears throat> this incident um, that happened at the church in Antioch. Antioch was primarily a Gentile church made of Gentile believers, and there had been the controversy about following the law, and Peter himself had seen a vision that God had shown him that God calls all people, Jews and Gentiles alike, to faith in Jesus Christ and saves them all. And yet this happened. Paul writes, but when Cephas, Peter, came to Antioch, I, Paul, opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party, the Jews who held to the view that you needed to be circumcised if you were a Gentile to be a true Christian. And the rest of the Jews, now, of course, he's talking about Jewish believers, Jewish Christians, acted hypocritically, hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, I won't get into those details, but on earth, Peter, who knew the truth that God called from Jews and Gentiles, believers, before people who held a strong view came, he was eating together with the Gentile Christians in the church at Antioch. But once they arrived, and of course, their strong view was you had to be circumcised to be a true Christian. He separated himself and would no longer eat at the same table. So Paul is saying their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. And he had to rebuke his brother. So. We're living in kind of an already not yet period. That is, our salvation is sure. 
if we believe in Christ, if we are in Christ, we have his life for our death. We, we call it being born again. We have his righteousness instead of our sins. But in this period between our regeneration and our justification and our glorification, we need continual encouragement to continue to grow. That's why Paul is stressing that our knowledge needs to be renewed by the Holy Spirit. And sometimes that need leads to a, a new repentance and an act in faith. We came to Christ the first time through repentance and faith. We grow as the Lord uh, as we read the word and God brings to us knowledge of our sins, places where we have not put off the old man and put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And that will lead to us walking in Christ, walking in a way that pleases the Lord. So... <clears throat> And I know um, as Mike works through Romans 5 through 8, we're about midway through chapter 6 now. He's going to get into this a whole lot more. So this is kind of an introduction. But we need this continual encouragement. So in Colossians 2, 6 through 7, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Walk in Christ. How can we be confident that we can do that? Because the Holy Spirit is renewing our knowledge as we read the truth of God's word, and it's, it puts it into our minds, and then we put it into practice. So, last point. What is the summary of all this putting on and putting on? Well, I think Colossians 3.17 is a good summary of this. Again, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. And as I meditated on this chapter or this passage from 3, 1 through 17, and I was thinking about do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then I was reading up on what that means in the name of the Lord Jesus. Often we think we do things in the name of the Lord Jesus. We're doing it by his authority. So in the Great Commission, we're baptizing in the name of the Lord Jesus, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, by that authority. That's the authority by which we do it. Or often when we pray in Jesus' name, we think we're praying not on the basis of our righteousness, but on the basis of the authority that we have in him. But name also refers to someone's character. <clears throat> when we 
thinking the Lord's Prayer, hallowed be thy name, we're thinking everything about God's character, God, who he is, his being is holy. So I'm just going to leave in this thought. In the context of this passage, we're putting on the new self is putting on the Lord Jesus. Doing everything in the name of the Lord Jesus seems more to be speaking and doing everything in his character like him rather than by the authority of. That's something that you can think about and meditate on. But again, whatever we do in word or deed, do everything in the character of the one in whose our new self is being renewed, the Lord Jesus Christ, forgiving, loving, with patience, humility, kindness, compassion. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. So I want to end with some application. This is what I call 35,000 feet level application. But again, Hearing all this could be dist distressing. We need to get the foundation right. We don't try to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't try to grow in the new self, but we do that not in order to be loved by God, but because we are loved. In Colossians 3.12, again, before he begins this list, Paul gives us this encouragement. He says, put on then as God's chosen one, holy and beloved. And he begins the list, compassionate hearts, kindness. It's because we are loved that we are to put these things on. The second reminder, in this area of putting off and putting on, we work with God because he works in us. In Philippians 2, 12 and 13, I'm sure this is a very well-known passage for you. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. How could we will something that we didn't know about? So that's again where the renewal in knowledge begins. And Mike has stressed this. Uh, I have simplified knowledge to action, but Mike has stressed again and again that our knowledge is renewed and therefore our will and affections are renewed. And then we desire what God desires for us. But this time of the time in between, between our regeneration and justification and our ultimate glorification, the foundation is all God's work. But in this time in between, we work with God that we might grow in knowledge and grace. Third, 
we can have full confidence in God's working in us. Philippians 1.6 states, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. If you have put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible teaches us that is because God has begun a good work in you. And Paul, the scripture, God wants us to have confidence that if God has begun that work, he's going to bring it to completion. Completion will not be till glorification when Jesus Christ returns. But God is faithful. He will bring it to completion. So, um, on that foundation, on that gospel foundation, the truth of the gospel, I'm just going to leave us with this. Um, in Colossians 1, Paul prayed for the Colossian believers, and again, you'll see knowledge going to action. He writes this. He, and so, from the day we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Why? So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I shared this a couple, well, might be a while back when I was doing my study in Colossians, just how often do we pray for our fellow believers in a like manner that they may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding to the end that they can walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. If you think about it, it'd be impossible to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord if you didn't know what that manner is. But what confidence we have that what God is doing in us is to renew, having the new self that's being renewed in the image of its creator, that knowledge of his will is who Jesus Christ is in his full <clears throat> glory. So just to recap, these two verses, do not lie to one another, seeing you have put off the old self with its practices and then have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And then whatever you do in word or do, deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks 
to God the Father through him. So as we continue our study in Romans with Mike, I just pray that this would be our foundation of the gospel truth that um, we walk forward as we continue that study. So we have a few minutes now. I'm going to um, allow you, if you have any questions or comments, to, to unmute yourself if you'd like. <laughs> 